StoryWorth, making priceless family memories. Give your family the most meaningful gift this year and get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com AMR to get $10 off your first purchase. Take a break with Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided wellness sessions designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com AMR. How cool or warm is this? Ember Wave is the first non-medical wearable device that helps you feel cooler or warmer at the press of a button. To get this limited time offer, go to emberwave.com AMR for $50 off at checkout. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Sarah. Oh, my goodness. And congratulations are in order, Grandma number three. Baby. That's right. <laughs> yeah, she's a, a Blythe Claire was born uh, last Wednesday, the 18th, at about 6.15 in the evening, seven pounds, three ounces, 20 and a half inches, head full of dark hair. Yes, yes, with the requisite southern bow on her head, the big bow that her that your daughter Carol uh, Blythe's mother just adores. Yes, yes. Well, you know, Carol got about maybe one bow in her entire childhood, so she's making up for. <laughs> You're such a mean mommy, Allison. I was just a tomboy. <laughs> Well, that is very exciting. Yes. And, and our Bly's big sister and brother, very happy to have her. Oh, in the family. oh they're besotted. Totally oh. besotted. Both oh, good word. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. So, so she was born via C-section, right? No, no. Oh, no. She, okay. Uh, was just induced because oh, Carol, gotcha. who, you know, blood pressure had been perfect, you know, like 110 over 60, about... I guess about eight days before, uh, all of a sudden her blood pressure started mm. skyrocketing. So they decided to give her a little nudge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. So, so they came home what day? Uh, let's see. She was born Wednesday evening. They came home around noon on Friday. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. And um, how's it all back at the homestead? How's it all working out? Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> because the two older ones are reminding their ages. Uh, Kennedy is just about to turn eight at the end uh-huh. of the week. And Mark is five and a half. Now they're, they're great, but they're very busy little people. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the dog is not quite sure what to make. If Blythe, is she child? Is she prey? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and of course, Carol's not getting a lot of sleep. So, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it, it didn't occur to me that since you're living there, then your dog Babylon is there. <laughs> Duh, Sarah. Yeah. yeah, so that's been interesting. Of course, Carol has heard all these urban myths of, you know, terrible stories about dogs and and babies sure you know so um you know it's it's yeah it's a big juggling act and the difference between being a grandmother at 55 and a grandmother at 63 is a little daunting (laughs) don't tell me you're feeling old woman you can still run circles around all of us (laughs) all right all right from your lips to god's ears i'll indulge you in that fantasy (laughs) oh my goodness and so how are you helping out uh, mainly, I think I'm, I'm helping out. Yesterday, we, Carol and I had to take Blythe to the pediatrician, and they gave her a bit of a primer on nursing a different way oh. uh, to avoid the uh, cover your ears, Alex, uh, chapped nipples. And mm-hmm. so I'm sort of now her you know, coach and kind of getting it right. Lots oh. of diaper changing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just sort of the, the, the normal things. Then, of course, corralling the two kids and trying to keep their life, you know, I mean, obviously they're very excited about Blythe, but you also have to kind of keep their life going. Plus, we are back to virtual school. Mm. Um, when, when did that happen there in South uh, Carolina? started yesterday. Oh, good. no, Monday. Uh, what is today? Yeah, yeah today's Tuesday, yes. <laughs> Thank that you. would be yesterday, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. It already yeah. seems like a long time ago. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Isn't life in kindergarten yet? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So that's kind of, um, I can't believe that they started 
on the Monday of Thanksgiving week. Like I, yes. And it's interesting, you know, uh, again, um, we're not quite sure what the, the governor has in mind, but they're talking about the next week, they will go back to this four days of school instead of the hybrid model, which was two days. So I, you know, I think a lot is going to depend on what happens this week and then what happens after the holidays. I'm, mm. you know, I'm so concerned about some of these Midwest states and my heart goes mm-hmm. out to everybody Mm-hmm. especially during this Thanksgiving season when we're so accustomed to being with our loved ones. I know. I know. Yeah. I, um, I feel like finally I'm vindicated with being such a Scrooge about Thanksgiving. I'm just, you know. <laughs> well, see, it's, it's Carl's favorite holiday. And oh, is it? really suffering. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah. oh that's yeah. too bad. Oh yeah. No, I just, Gosh, I don't know. I, you know, having lived on the opposite coast of my parents for such a long period of my adult life, all but four years of being postgraduate, um, I just, you know, I, I probably only went, I can only think of maybe two or three times that I was home in Connecticut for Thanksgiving. And two of those times was because either I was working or running the Philadelphia marathon. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just ride the train up to Connecticut (laughs) and call it good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you know, and like when I was um, divorced living in San Francisco, I would pride myself in taking very, very long bike rides on Thanksgiving because there are very few cars out on the road. And so I would, you know, ride from the city up to, you know, I don't know, mere woods or some beaches up there in Marin and it just had you know highway one all to myself it was quite lovely so Mm, gosh that sounds beautiful it was can I do that again please just (laughs) by myself (laughs) yeah Yeah, well they are having a turkey you know that same turkey day race that you know Carol and I participated in the kids one year but oh yeah that's that's they are oh they're still having it here yeah. Oh, with any type of restrictions or, or I don't think so. I'm not positive, mm. but, and, mm. you know, I haven't checked on it in the last week, so it may be that they've decided to hold mm. off, but, uh, mm. and there hasn't been a lot of fanfare, but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And you, and you will most certainly not be towing the line with no. that. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Well, as people probably have figured out because you are co-host, it is time to talk about books. Yay! <laughs> that, um, you know, we just found that our summer reading podcast was so popular that now for, gosh, do you remember, Allison, how many years has it been since we've done a winter one? Four? Maybe this is Five? Yeah, so, yeah, something. I don't know. T- time's, oh, a, time's a blur. Um, right. So, but we did decide to do it a little earlier this year in part so that maybe people could add them to their holiday list or, um, you know, um, if you're going to hunker down because of cold weather or because you are, you know, um, physically distancing from people. So, you know, we want to give you um, some recommendations for what to read. And uh, we decided before we went on air that we would also discuss some books to stay away from, which will be be new for us. So, (laughs) Right. Well, like I, I said to you, I think I've heard from people in the tribe saying, hey, can you tell me something you didn't like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I find interesting. And today we, we will provide. Yes. Yes. So, um, and also, you know, we realized that a lot of people um, do not have any spare time. It seems like with all the um, duties that are heaped onto women these days. And so I would recommend listening to audiobooks. Um, so I have been listening to, it's not a new book, but I've been listening to the witch elm by her first name pronounced Tana, Tana. Oh, oh yeah. French. Okay. French. Yeah. yeah. Tana yeah. French. Yeah. Yes. Now, what do you think? Because I have tried, I think I've tried four of her books and I have mm. her latest one on hold at the library and they just start off great guns for me and just, I can never finish them. Well, so it is, well, one, so it's an audio book. It's set uh, in and around Dublin. And so the narrator has a fabulous Irish brogue. So, you know, he could be telling me what he ate for dinner last night, and I think it was interesting. Um, and then I mentioned it on Twitter that I was had got the audiobook or something, and a number of people who I respect, including Sage Roundtree, was like, oh, I love that book. Oh, my gosh, you have to read it. Mm-hmm. it it's just awfully long, and not much is happening. I right. mean, I, I have been listening. I have been making diligent 
diligent efforts. I listen when I'm running by myself. I listen to when I'm raking and I've been doing a lot of raking lately. (laughs) Um, And, you know, when I'm cooking, when I'm driving and I'm like, and on the, as you know, the app for the audio book for our library out here shows you where you are percentage wise. And I'm like, for the love of God, I'm not even at 50% yet. (laughs) Yeah. Groundhog day. So now, now I kind of, I hate to say, but I'm kind of editing as I listen in terms of like thinking, oh yeah, we could have cut through this. We didn't have to include this. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm going to stick it out though. Cause, um, mainly cause the guy's accent. And, and so we'll see, we'll see. I did just renew it. Um, so you get, you know, 21 days for the audiobooks, And then I was afraid I wouldn't be able to renew it. And it, it spun for a little while the app, and then it's like, Oh, it's been renewed. I'm like, okay, I got for another 21 days. I can keep leaning in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to be anxious to hear what you think after you're done because so many people just adore her and I really mm-hmm. wanted to, but I feel I'm going to give her one more try because <laughs> this one is a little, the, her newest one is a little different. Mm, okay. Um, okay. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, all right. Well, we'll be ta- back to talk about books that we held in our hand and turn pages after this break. Stay with us. Given that it's not uncommon to have your temperature taken these days, many of us gals know for a fact that we are truly cold for much of the day, then often burning up at night. Oh, sheesh, I'm in search of a happy medium. It's one of the reasons I'm grateful I discovered Ember Wave. Ember Wave is the first non-medical wearable device that helps you feel cooler or warmer at the press of a button. It looks similar to a watch or sleek bracelet. Electrosensors on the inside of your wrist send signals that gently cool you down or warm you up. I love sleeping on my Ember Wave when I come home from a morning run. A lot of the time, I get swept up in family duties, so a hot shower has to wait. By turning on the Ember Wave to warm, I can keep the post-run chills at bay and go about my mom or work stuff in comfort. An Ember Wave is my BFF at night. When I go to bed, I turn it to a warm setting to help me melt into sleep. Later, around 2 or 3 a.m. when I wake up in a sweat, I set it to cool and I'm able to drift back to sleep much more quickly and comfortably. Ember is offering our listeners $50 off. To get this limited time offer, go to embrwave.com AMR, and the discount will automatically be applied at checkout. That's $50 off your order today. Go to embrwave.com AMR, emberwave.com AMR. More serendipity with this fun fact. Dipsy, the audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions, does indeed derive its name from the Northern California Trail that's home to the oldest trail race in the U.S. To me, the tie-in is both Dipsy and a running race can make you feel an amazing sense of satisfaction. Like I said, Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions. They are designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. The stories are relatable and immersive, so you feel like you're in the scenario of your choice. And there's something for everyone, whoever and whatever you're into. For example, find stories about a spontaneous hookup with a hot stranger, getting closer with that sexy yoga instructor you can't stop thinking about, or even stories about trying that new toy together. Trust me, Dipsy stories are high quality, tasteful yet still sexy, with new content added every week so there's always something to rev your engine. True confession time. With all the stress and monotony these days, I'm finding it tough to get fired up. Dipsy lets me escape the daily grind and find a spark. Just like crossing a finish line, few things can compare with the satisfaction of climaxing. You know I'm speaking truth, ladies. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com AMR. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com AMR. Yes, like I said, Dipsy like the trail dipsystories.com slash AMR. Hey there, it's Coach Liz from the Train Like a Mother Club. There's no getting around it. The holidays will be different this year, yet that shouldn't stop us from feeling close. That's why I'm giving my loved ones the most meaningful gift this year, a chance to tell their story and share memories using StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and thoughts. It's a fun, new way to engage with family, especially those you can't see in person. Or for my own mother, it's a case of us seeing her nearly every single day. You see, she lives 
lives just a few blocks from us and helps care for my three young children. Yet the conversations always center on the kids and their activities rather than on her and her life. Reading the weekly stories is fun and quite honestly gives us something new to do during this Groundhog Day-like life we're leading right now. In her last story worth, my mom got to answer questions about her experience with her first boss. Little did I know that she was a typist on Wall Street, though in her words, not a very good one. Boy, did we share a few good laughs about that story. After one year, StoryWorth compiles every answered question and photo you choose to include a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. I know my kids and I will treasure this book for many years to come. Give your loved ones the gift of spending time together wherever they live with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com slash AMR. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash AMR for $10 off. All right, E. Well, let's start with a book that I know both of us read and were awaiting quite eagerly. It is the latest Anthony Horowitz novel. It is Moonflower Murders. And, oh, Uh, sigh, sigh. (laughs) And it's a big doorstopper of a book. So when I saw it, I was so excited because I I am of the, I like big books and I cannot lie ilk. Um, (laughs) uh, I got so excited and, you know, started reading and began to quake a little bit. And I wasn't really sure. And I guess you'll do a better job of describing how the book is set up. So take it away there. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So Anthony Horowitz, first of all, he has just, he uh, writes books quickly, which I really appreciate so that we have had a lot of his recent novels on several of our podcasts. We didn't have one for the summer one, but we knew this one was coming up, but I think he had one on last winters, possibly even last summers. And just, they're so good. And so this one is, it's has the, I didn't really remember the, the, the main character from one of the previous novels, but it's the editor of, there, there's always kind of a, a novel within a novel of, of a lot of his stories. Yeah, and this one is Susan Ryland. Yes, thank you. Was the editor for the, the guy Atticus... What is it? Atticus Pound. Pound. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, that was the Atticus Pound is the book. He's not the writer, isn't it? Right. Somebody. Yeah. yeah. And right. so she, in one of, it's all, it doesn't really matter, but he, but she was the editor of one of the previous main characters. And so she gets, she's living in Greece with um, a lover and she gets called back to England by the parents of a woman who's disappeared and that the woman, um, that, that, that one of the Atticus Poon pound, I'm going to say, because otherwise I sound like an odd duck, um, <laughs> is uh, one of those novels was set at this hotel that these parents of the missing woman owned. And so she supposedly, and that somebody had been, you know, serving time for the true crime. And, oh gosh, it just makes sound so confusing when I talk about it. But so yeah. she goes to this hotel to kind of figure out whether this missing woman really did figure out this true killer. But then within Moonflower Murders, there is this entire novel that is the novel that supposedly this missing woman read and discovered that there are all sorts of clues sprinkled throughout it as to who the true killer was. And she... Yeah, and instead of... The one thing I think we should mention, because I know I, I was foisting it on you to describe it because it's yeah, you're like you do it Sarah you do it, you do it much better than me Tom one good thing is instead of toggling uh from the novel to the novel within a novel mm-hmm. she gives you about half of the Moonflower murders, and then in the middle of it she gives you the entire Atticus pound pound yes so you don't, you're not going back and forth. So that is, is a relief. On you're, you're so gracious, Allison. You're like, well, at least she didn't make us toggle back and forth from chapter to chapter. Yeah, yeah. or he didn't. You know, he, yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 But it's you and I. I think, if I'm not mistaken, we both like the novel within the novel. Better. Oh, oh, most definitely. 
Oh, yeah. most definitely. Also because Susan Ryland is just not a very appealing narrator. She just, no. I, I just don't find anything appealing about her. I don't, I just, yeah, no, no. So, and then, and then because the novel within a novel is, it's quite long. And so then I sort of, once I was done with that, I'm like, oh, wait, now what was the rest of this book about? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it was a big letdown, I think, for both of us. That said, please go and read all the other Anthony Horowitz books you can lay your hands on. Right. Because they're fantastic. Um, and transporting. I will give Moonflower Murders that. I am all, in this day and age, I am all about books that transport me places. Right. So right. being transported to the, first to a Greek isle and then to the English countryside, sign me up for that. Right. Yeah, I would, I would. Yeah, have I will go agree. stay in a manor house with, you know, made of stone and with crushed, you know, pea gravel on the driveway, the whole bit. But <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, I think probably some people are really going to enjoy it. Mm. Um, and I, it's not to say that I, I just felt let down like you did because I was really expecting what I feel we got out of his first, what, two, the previous two that we read. Oh, I think there's been more than that. Well, maybe there has been. Because, yeah. And then also, because I've read all of his books. I've read, right. you, you know, because uh, he does the Sherlock Holmes one. Right. Um, so the, with the Moriarty and stuff like that. So he's, he's just super duper clever. I guess I didn't feel this one was as clever. Yes. And it know. seemed forced yes. at times. Yeah. Particularly the whole wrap up of things. So, yeah, yeah. So, but also in the plus category, it had really big type and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad that the, yeah, your old friend didn't have to bring that up. But yeah, yeah, I don't have to bring out my cheaters these days. That's a, that's a good moment. Yes, yeah. Turn on all the lights in the room right. and the cheaters. That's not yeah. a good sign. Yeah. Well, that's funny you should mention because Carl came in the other day and he's like, what are we trying to like, you know, put dominion energy <laughs> into the fortune 500 category or something. Like, hey. <laughs> it is true it is true i'm like oh it's the middle of the afternoon and i have all the lights on <laughs> good <laughs> oh my goodness well tell us about a book that just you read because you devoured more books than i did i think um one of the ones uh i'm gonna go with fiction, talk about some fiction books first. Mm -hmm. I think this time around, my real loves were the nonfiction, but oh. um, the New York Times book review just came out, or the New York Times just came out with their top 100 best books of mm. the year, and they just came out with their 10 best. But mm. one that made the top 100 in fiction is a debut called His Only Wife oh. by Peace Adzo. Midday, I think is the way you would pronounce it, but um, I, I can't be held down. I've got Nana brain, so anything I mispronounce, <laughs> I feel that uh, uh, the tribe will forgive me. Um, but it is set in Ghana, and it's essentially about a young woman who uh, comes from a very average family. Uh, she's a seamstress. Um, she's living with her mother, but also is surrounded by this very extended family. And she is essentially a, a sort of pawned off to, to wed the son of this very, very wealthy woman in town. And he lives in, um, I believe it's the capital. Yes, the capital of, of Ghana, Accra. Hmm. Um, and, but she marries him and doesn't see him on the wedding day. And this is because the reason that this wealthy family wants her to, to, to marry him is because he's already wed a woman that they do not approve of, mm. or he's living with this woman, I think. And so they essentially look at this young girl and she's talented, she's beautiful, uh, she's smart, and they think, okay, well, we'll just use her to sort of pull this guy away. Mm. Um, and the love story in the story uh, behind the young woman's name is Afi, um, is interesting, but I really was sucked in by what you learn about the culture in Ghana, uh, the way that family structure is. Mm. Um, to me, it was more about that and then about the, 
the love story, because I think the love story, uh, if you want to call it that, is not as riveting as possibly I thought it was going to be. Mm. So um, I really felt that the, you know, learning, learning about Ghana, the surroundings, the atmosphere, mm-hmm. uh, traditions, that was really what sort of sucked me in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you- See, look, you like to be educated about things. I like to be transported. You know, I think that, I think that literature and books can serve different functions. Oh yes, and now I love a good transport every now and again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I am a sucker for the English countryside, which sort of uh, baffles me in a way because uh, you've been to England. I never have, but that's where you know my family's all from Scotland and and Ireland. But um, I just, I, I think every once in a while, a book comes along that makes me, a fiction book that makes me think, and I admire that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, good, good. And then uh, Nick Hornby has a, has a new one out yes. called Just Like You. Uh-huh. And, and I will, who Nick I Hornby will, is. What? Remind Nick Hornby. Who... Oh, High Fidelity. Yes. That's mm-hmm. all you usually have to say. That's what I said. I first read High Fidelity, and I was thinking about this. I read it in 1995 when I first came out to uh, visit my future husband and another good friend back on the on the West Coast. Uh-huh. Nice. Nice. Really so, put you back there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, poor... Nick Horn, because I think uh, I'm like a lot of other people that keep waiting for him to sort of replicate high fidelity, mm. which is not fair. And I know it's not fair, but I still live in hope. <laughs> um, and I mean, he's got a he's got a great his humor is is marvelous, and he mm-hmm. does you know British uh, sarcasm and. Ian, he does, I mean, he does that very, very well. But I think what I've noticed in his last couple of novels is that I'm not getting that sort of overwhelming uh, thrill at, oh my goodness, these characters are amazing. This story is amazing. Uh, Mm. The side characters are fantastic. And in this book, it's essentially about uh, a divorced mother of two who's, who's in her early 40s, and her name is Lucy. Uh, she thought she was doing, you know, the right thing. She married a guy very much like her. You know, they moved into a nice house. They had these two kids. He turned out not to be who she thought he was, and she finally sort of extricated herself from him, and they divorced. And she's gotten to the point now, her her two sons are early teens. I think one of them may be preteen mm-hmm. and she wants to date. Mm-hmm. Um, but so she essentially sort of goes out and decides after about two years of being divorced, she wants, she wants to date. And she's decided that she doesn't want to meet somebody exactly like her, but she ends up meeting Joseph and he's not exactly what she was looking for in, She's definitely not what he's looking for because <laughs> he comes from a different culture. He's about 15 years her junior, or maybe even 20 years her junior. Wow. Wow. And the way she meets him is she's actually looking for a babysitter. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you can kind of run with it there, but it's set against the backdrop of Brexit, about mm. voting mm. for Brexit. Mm-hmm. So that is where I've... I've read uh, on social media a couple of people that say that they think that the American audience won't enjoy it because mm. of the Brexit background. Mm-hmm. But I think Hornby does a decent enough job of sort of providing a minimum understanding of what's going on. And he does a very good job of explaining what it means to different people in the novel, whether voting mm. for it or against it. Um, mm. The love story, you have to stretch a little with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, some of the humor was, especially in the beginning, some of the humor was laugh out loud and I enjoyed that. And I think we could all use a little bit of that now. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Okay. So uh, a, th- a thumbs up-ish. Uh-huh. Yes. That's what I would say. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Well, the um, next novel is contemporary fiction and 
you and I, ooh, um, it was not, we are not giving a thumbs up. It is White Ivy by Susie Yang. And um, right until before this, right before we recorded, I didn't realize that you'd also read it. And so I finished it over the weekend and it is about, um, uh, Ivy is the main character and she's actually um, was born in China and her parents uh, emigrated to the States and left her there for, with her grandmother for several years until they got settled and had um, a son. And then they brought the grandmother and Ivy over. And so then it is Ivy's life first in Massachusetts as a teenager. And then they moved to New Jersey. Yes, New Jersey. And yes. yes. And then I mean, it fast forwards to her going off to college. And when she graduates, a couple of years after she graduates, and it's, um, she, oh gosh, it's about two men in her life. She had, when she, as you know, Allison, when she lived in Massachusetts, she went to um, a prep school. Yes, a prep school, I think. Yes, yes. Yes, prep school. And she had just had this massive crush on this young man named Gideon, a classmate named Gideon. And so then, um, but, and they only had kind of very one encounter to sleep over. And then her family moves away. So she loses touch with Gideon. And then she reconnects with Gideon through Gideon's sister, Sylvia. And um, I don't want to give too much away, but then it becomes her relationship with Gideon and then also her relationship with um, the man she lost her, the guy she lost her virginity to who she was friends with in high school. And gosh, it just, it was, it just, it's very implausible, I thought. Um, it really took, for me, the hard left turn that it took toward the end. I just was yeah. like, what? Like, if that's where we were going, there should have been, like, signs along the way, and, and you should have gotten there sooner. And I just thought, for a book that didn't have a whole heck of a lot going on in it, there was a lot heaped on toward the end. Right. And I thought, um, I know that... I don't mind a disagreeable character or a mm. character that's, um, you know, almost beyond redemption if mm. she or he is interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. this case, we'll, uh, we'll talk about one character. Well, let's just say it, Ivy. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. I just didn't find her compelling enough. Plus mm -hmm. the author tries to do this sort of sleight of hand with one of her relationships and, you know, talk about, there was a billboard at about 50 or 60, 100 pages in that no, I don't think most discerning readers will miss. <laughs> so that I was like, okay, well, I know, you know, you're, you're trying to cover this up, but it's fairly obvious. <laughs> um, so I, I understand she's a young author, but for all the press that this book has been getting, at least that mm -hmm. I've been seeing, um, I was very let down. Yeah, yeah, that is well stated. Um, I just, I mean, I thought it. I thought it was a. The words were well crafted. I thought. Yes, I will uh, grant you that. Right. Yes, and, um, but just I didn't find Ivy a plausible character at all. In addition to not being sympathetic, and. I just, I mean, the whole thing with her that she suddenly is a teacher and then she decides she's going to quit being a teacher so she can go to law school. And I'm just like, I'm not buying that. And I really don't care. Yes. <laughs> yes. It wasn't interesting. I mean, that's the thing. You know, you have characters that are just deplorable and you're like, wow, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, oh my goodness. What are they going to do next? Mm -hmm. Not in this case. Yeah. I'd love to hear from if if there's anybody that has read it and really enjoyed it. I hope they'll, you mm -hmm. know, drop us a line to let us know why. Mm -hmm. um, because, mm -hmm. you know, if we're both missing something, please clue us in. Yeah, because also like the the parents, you know, that they kind of turned a, a very kind of random, almost selling junk or, you know, knickknacks and stuff like that into like this massive business where they're incredibly wealthy and yet their son is it's just seemingly so adrift and it's just like, Oh yeah, well, finally they decide John, the son has major depression. And it's just like, kind of like, okay, that might've been something interesting to really kind of pick apart a little more, but nope. It's just like a little noise in the background. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I finished it. 
Um, I guess that's yeah. the best I can say. <laughs> it sounds like you've a course of penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> it said to take the all the until you were done with them, so I did. Yep. yep. <laughs> I kicked that UTI to the curb. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh my goodness. So, um, well, the next novel we'll talk about is another one that got just tons of acclaim. Oh my goodness. Leave the world behind by I'm going to not do his name service. Uh, Ruman Alam. Sounds good to me. Okay. Yes, I could have listened. I have saved in uh, in Overcast, my podcast app. I do have saved an interview, fresh air interview with him. And so I was all excited to, you know, kind of have a immersive episode experience of listening to that and reading the novel. And I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm like, Meh. Um, I will say I really love the colors on the cover. They're really yes. <laughs> yeah. my palette. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of the, the blues and the teals. Yes. So, you know, you know, well, Allison, my love of post-apocalyptic fiction. Yes, I do. So I, I, yes. <laughs> so I thought, oh, this is it. Um, so it's about a family from Brooklyn that arrives at a vacation at a very, very deluxe Airbnb out on Long Island and way, way, way on the end of Long Island. And so, and then suddenly a mysterious couple shows up in the night claiming that something's very wrong in New York City and quite possibly the world. And so this couple, they're the owners of the house, the, the Airbnb. And so, you know, so, uh, and it's, it's worth noting, I think, because it is part of the novel that the owners of the house, they are a um, black couple, maybe in their sixties. And then yes. the, the family with the two kids who are renting the house, they're white. So there's some of that is touched on, but I thought there'd be more of that. And so that's kind of, it's not a large part of the plot. Um, and then, you know, it's just kind of about what happens when, um, you know, there's no, they, for some reason, though, out on this tip of Long Island, they do still have electricity. There's no television service. There's absolutely no internet. And so it's just kind of about what this family does in the face of not knowing anything. And, you know, I was repeatedly reminded of the TV show Lost, which I hated that show. And I thought it was so unrealistic, mainly because, and stick with me on this, because at one point early on in the series, and and my husband watched it, so I was watching it with one eye, a polar bear shows up and Lost is set on, you know, theoretically a tropical island. And so they have nothing to talk about, yet no one talks about the fact that a polar bear is on this tropical <laughs> island, okay? Like, that would be all you'd talk about. Right. And it was the same yeah. sort of way that these these four adults and these two kind of teen, preteens, they finally, the, the um, dad who's renting the place does get in the car and try to drive somewhere, but he gets lost and kind of freaked out about getting lost. So he goes back to the house. I mean, you would get in the car and drive to town and find someone, try to find a New York Times. Like You would try to find out what was going on. Right, right. Right. And I mean, it definitely was, there's occasionally a part of a, of a paragraph, not even a full paragraph that'll kind of allude to something happening. Like there's, you know, people stuck on an airplane or stuck in an elevator and, you know, eventually they die. Like, and literally that's three sentences. So you get the sense that something very big has happened, either a nuclear explosion probably, or a takeover of the power grid or something, but I'm just like, I want to shake them and say, go out and find out what's going on. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and that book has been receiving a ton of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's. Yeah. And I also felt, you know, I, listeners of this podcast might know that, um, Sometimes I use um, $5 words. Um, I don't use them because they're $5 words. I just use them because that's that I, I use the words that I think are best suited for describing something. 
And, but this writer, I just felt there were, the pages were littered with like $25 words when a $5 or even a $1 word would have done. Yeah. And I've always heard that that's like a supreme sin Mm. when you're writing a book. I've Mm -hmm. heard that, you know. Yeah. It was like road bumps or like running Mm. on a road with acorns on it that it suddenly was like, Oh, oh, that was kind of, Oh, almost turned my ankle on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's distracting. And you know, if you're in in a good story, you don't want to be distracted from that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, the words and the, the, you know, like we were saying about White Ivy, for all our um, disagreement with it as a story, I felt the words were very well crafted. And, yes. you know, the words in Leave the World Behind, they're well crafted, but but just, uh, it was, a. I mean, I felt like I wanted to have the words be hyperlinked because a lot of times I didn't even know what they meant. Um, and so, yeah, it was just too, it was self-conscious use of language and that. Mm-hmm is a fault. That's a yeah. sin. I that's that's, a, that's a big no-no. Yeah, that's a big no-no for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel like you're sitting next to the writer while he or she is, you know, scratching through and crafting, then mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I still have that episode of Fresh Air in my podcast queue. I don't know if I'll ever listen to it. So. yeah (laughs) so uh do you have any more novels to um to put on the pile or are we gonna well i i will say that i'm only uh i'll throw on one that i'm reading now which i'm Mm. kind of finding fascinating um it's uh, a debut novel by a kid who looks to be about 15 uh called (laughs) And I'm not kidding. Wait, do you see his author photo? But it's called The Orchard. And oh. it, his name is David Hoppen, H-O-P-E-N. Mm-hmm. And uh, all I'll say is um, I wish I had a Hebrew dictionary next to me because it, <laughs> it, it does concern a very, very um, uh, shielded uh, young man who's grown up in an Orthodox family, just he and his parents. And uh, he goes to a, a yeshiva that's just, I mean, a school that's, and here, uh, I hope that, um, I'm a Presbyterian, so so work with me, but um, <laughs> it's fascinating because he's been extremely sheltered until he's about 17, and his father loses his job in Brooklyn, New York, where they're living, mm-hmm. and is invited down to live um, essentially, I think what's supposed to be like Hollywood, Florida, into oh. very, very wealthy enclave and mm. to a very different school. He's surrounded by very different people. Um, he's actually going to a high school that where he's challenged because he's extremely bright. Mm. And so far, I'm finding it fascinating and extremely well written. Oh. Um, so, excellent. Uh, I'll try to report back. I'm not even halfway through that one, but. Oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah. I actually um, started, I'll quickly talk about this. Uh, my sister who lives in Connecticut and who I sent Rodham to after um, reading it and talking about it on the podcast. Um, so I think she felt like she owed me a book back, which is not the case. I did not see it as a tit for tat proposition, but she texted me and said that she really liked a novel called My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell. Yes, that's another debut. Yes. And so she sent that one out to me and I started it. Um, I'm reserving judgment so far. I will have to say it. um, I fear that it's going to veer in the girl, girl on the train type um, you know, just a little sensational and overhyped. Yeah. Um, I didn't care for it. Um, but did I, did you, did you read it? Yes. Oh, and okay. I, I don't know. To me, it, I, I could see where it was going, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't care for the way she handled it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, now the other thing I will say is that I feel, and you and I have talked about this. I feel really like that in many ways I've aged out of the coming of age, Mm-hmm. Uh, novels so yeah but yeah. this one I and a lot of people I know on Goodreads there have been a ton of people that have loved that book oh okay yeah, yeah well and my, and my sister is um, she's in between our two ages and mm-hmm. she's incredibly bright um, 
And so she really liked it. And she was a, she has a master's in English literature. So I I give something to that. Yeah. And um, so, but in a nutshell, it um, has a female main character and it toggles between her time at a prep school in Maine in 2000 when she had, she was 15 and she had an affair with um, a man who's a teacher who was 42 and then to 2017 and the me too movement coming out and about um the, the teacher is now accused by some other students and whether she um is going to you know add her voice to what he did or what their relationship although she and this teacher still have a relationship this 17 years later so yeah and that uh, part i thought was fascinating um and i thought it was she did a good job showing how a young mind like that can really be um, essentially, you know, you're not seeing this and this isn't what you think it is, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a prodded along to believe what an older adult wants them to believe. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say I'm not so far loving the main character mm-hmm. um, whose name I'm totally forgetting. Um, but anyway, so, but I'm, uh, in large part because I know it got good reviews and my, my erudite sister loved it. So I'm going to keep going for now. Good. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, let's shift over to nonfiction. Oh boy. Read two fantastic nonfiction books. Excellent. Um, both of which made me very angry, which mm. is for, for me, for nonfiction, if it, if it gets my blood boiling and is done, you know, written well, that's, that's a win-win for me. The first one kind of uh, tugs at my heart because, you know, my mother grew up in Kentucky. Mm. Um, my father and uh, my mother passed away 13 years ago, and he and his second wife still live up there. And this book, Death in Mud Lick, takes mm-hmm. place in West Virginia, but mm-hmm. could take place in Kentucky. In fact, Kentucky and Ohio are mentioned, but it's a coal county fight country, excuse me, a coal country fight against the drug companies that delivered the opioid epidemic. And it's mm-hmm. by a um, guy who won the Pulitzer for investigative reporting. His name's Eric um, Erie. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I mean, if this doesn't tick you off, let me just read a little bit from it. Death in Mudlick is a story of a pharmacy in Kermit, West Virginia, that distributed nearly 9 million opioid pain pills in two years mm-hmm. to a town with 382 people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's staggering. I, um, I am about, um, let me see how many pages am I in on this. I'm on um, page 70. And I finally had to put it down just because the world was getting a little too much with me with um, stuff that's going on in our family and the pandemic. And, and um, so I just was like, okay, I, I, it's too much to read all this heartache and just loss and just corruption and yes. greed. Yes. Greed. I mean, it's, oh my gosh. it's staggering. staggering. It, truly staggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you read it and then you have to go back over parts of it and read it again mm-hmm. because you, you, your mind will not grasp it mm-hmm. that a corporation that, uh, uh, you know, a CEO uh, that could kind of know that this is going on and yet when caught immediately a shift the blame and or pull the you know if i had known this was happening mm-hmm. trust you know but it's mm. it's but i i would have to say that i think that the book is not i mean i you do probably need to take breaks every rest once in a mm-hmm. while but i did not come away from the book just entirely devastated mainly oh, okay. because there were so many people including the author who just stuck with it and refused to back down when they mm-hmm. were intimidated um who just dug and dug and dug mm-hmm. and um you know it's it's a book worth reading if for nothing else to also sort of get an idea because there's always this thought about people who are addicted to opioids that you know 
They just need to stop mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. And, or they're weak or, right. yeah, that they have some fault. And I mean, that is what, I mean, these people, I mean, you listen to NPR for, for, you know, one evening and you hear stories like this, but to, to see that those are just one example of countless stories just rippling throughout our country happening to so many families, you know, it's the, the football, you know, the star quarterback on the high school team hurting his shoulder in a tackle and suddenly becomes addicted to painkillers and, you know, then just sliding down this slope and, Oh my gosh. And being aided and abetted the whole Mm. way. Pharmacists by doctors, by insurance companies that look the other way, or, you know, then you've got, you know, the, the single mother of, you know, three kids who works a blue collar job and Mm -hmm. has, you know, gotten injured and, you know, has to do something to work through it because so it's, (laughs) but I, I cannot, uh, I cannot recommend that enough because it was informative to me. You know, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like I knew parts of the story, but this book does such a wonderful job of bringing it all in focus. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. And I also have to say, I hearken back to when you recommended um, Fall and Rise, that um, long, long book of investigative reporting about 9-11. Yes. And that is the book that has stuck with me. I just, I mean, I thought about within the past week. I mean, what a fantastic and hard book to get through, but ultimately such a um, fulfilling uh, experience to read it. Yes. You know? You know, I just feel books like this make you a, a better person. They I agree. Yeah. More empathetic, more a part of the collective we. And, um, you know, I think, I think right now we can all tend to get in our lanes and stick there and to, you know, to be transported to West Virginia and see what it's like there and just, man, it is. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Well, thank you. I will, I will go back to that and, um, continue reading that. Um, so, and the other nonfiction? The other nonfiction is called A Knock at Midnight uh, mm-hmm. and subtitled A Story of Hope, Justice, and Freedom. Mm-hmm. It's the first book by a young woman named Brittany K. Barnett. Mm-hmm. And um, again, bear with me, but I'm going to go to here. It talks about she was a law student. Uh, when she came across this case that really rang with her, and it was of a woman named Sharonda Jones, who was a single mother, business owner, and like Brittany, a black daughter of the rural South. Uh, But Sharonda had become a victim of America's devastating war on drugs and had been torn away from her young daughter and was serving, get this, a life sentence without parole for a first-time drug offense. Had nothing on Mm. her and uh you know essentially was had just fallen through the cracks as so many people had and this was another case where Mm. i had my eyes opened i really knew that there's a lot of discrepancy uh between groups of people and how they are treated by the Justice Department. But mm-hmm. what I didn't really realize was how, especially in the 90s, there was such a huge difference between what people would get hit with as far as um, serving time and penalties for crack, crack. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah, versus cocaine. Mm-hmm. Versus cocaine. Oh, mm-hmm. my word. Yeah. And let's call it what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was out and out racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had the, the guy that, you know, the young college, white college student at an Ivy school who's picked up with what would be the equivalent mm-hmm. of, you know, massive amount of crack, but he's given a slap on the wrist. And mm-hmm. then you have somebody like Sharonda who, and I won't go into it because it's sort of a fascinating story of how she got there. And she's essentially just ripped mm-hmm from her home and, you know, is serving life. And so Mm. Brittany Barnett begins to work on her case, but then this is sort of like, you know, she goes down the rabbit hole because then she starts hearing about all these other cases. Mm. And, you know, it's not a case of, 
all these people being, all of them being wrongly convicted, it's more of a case of, okay, wait a minute. She did this and she's getting life in prison. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's, it's the degrees to which, and mm -hmm. it's sort of fascinating. I've, I've, I know that some people have felt that Barnett, who has an interesting backstory on her own, her mother was an addict. Oh, that she did not turn the camera on herself enough and her story. I, I didn't feel that way at all, but it also amused me because I'm thinking about how many times people have said, you know, she's talked too much about herself. She turned the book's focus on her or him. So um, I just mm -hmm. found it very compulsive reading uh, really made me stop and think. It, it, it's not like I came away thinking, agreeing with the author on every single issue, mm -hmm. but boy, did it open my eyes. Mm -hmm. Well, we certainly need more books like that. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so great. Great. Yeah. So, yeah, some har hard books for hard times. Um, yes. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, um, but also, I think sometimes those books, you know, we have been through hard times and people can do i mean i think in the death and mud lick you know that there are you get shown what people do regular everyday people can rise up and do and you know the i think about the woman whose um brother died of the brother died of the overdose and you know how she just rallied and was not going to let him be blamed or castigated and you know that she fought back against him yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. No. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I think these are tough times. Um mm -hmm. we can look forward to some good books coming out. Yeah, yeah. What uh share share a couple that you're excited for. Well, I know Joan Didion has a new book oh. of essays coming out in I think it's late January. Mm -hmm. Um I didn't jot down the titles, but we can go with hoping and for people that loved uh Kate Quinn. I think her last book was The Huntress. Oh. She's historical fiction. She has a new book coming out. Oh. A lot of people know Taylor Jenkins from a read, excuse me, from The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, mm. which, and then there was, I think, Dave, uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. That was oh. her latest novel. But anyway, she's got a new one coming out in May. I mm. uh, don't have the title, but people are very excited about that. And for people who like Kristen Hanna, uh, she of the Nightingale fan, she has a book coming out in either January or February. Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we like things to look forward to. And, and pretty soon we'll have to start finding books for the summer podcast. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. It can't come quickly enough. <laughs> and may, perhaps I'll even be able to go to the library without oh. having an appointment. Uh, <laughs> Oh. I mean, please. Now I look fondly back on those days because oh. now we have uh, Multnomah County Library shut down for a month. Um, so, you know, it's back to just keep all the books you have, people, and, and you know, we'll keep you in the hold line where yeah. you are. And so, yeah, yeah. 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 So, all right. Well, um, Allison, it is always wonderful to talk books and life with you. So, um, uh, yes. Um, we'll get through this. Yeah, we will get through this. We will get through this t together. Yes. Um, so, and um, not to um, keep being, I don't want to be um, Debbie Downer, but um, last month, the running community lost a dear, dedicated man, uh, Tony Banovich, the race director for the Missoula Marathon, and he was oh. executive director of Run Wild Missoula. Tony was the lovely man who invited Dimity and me to be the headline speakers to the Missoula Marathon in June. That did not happen, but um, he did ask us to be the 2021 speakers. And then Tony um, died of a heart condition that he had had. He was actually, I found out he was waiting to get a heart transplant. And oh. Yes. So when he was a father runner who had this fabulous streak going, he had a, get this, a 1,731 day run streak. Wow. That, yeah. Yeah. So that he averaged um, 400, sorry, 4.35 miles. That was his daily, average daily distance. And so there is a um, uh, virtual race that is called the Tony Banovich Roads, Tracks, and Trails Memorial Run that is going to ensure continued support for Run Wild Missoula, which supports running and walking for people of all ages and abilities. And it's also the group that puts on the marathon. 
And so this um, uh, virtual event, uh, you, the event invites participants to run or walk 4.35 miles, um, raising funds, as I said, and 100% of registration dollars go directly to support the organization. Um, so, and uh, registration is open now through December 11th, and you have until December 31st to complete the event. And um, I will provide a link in the show notes, but it is um, runsignup.com slash run for Tony. So again, um, very, very special man. He was so lovely, so welcoming to us. Um, just a great um, beacon of light in the running community. And we're sorry to see that light go out. And um, so I will put a link to that virtual event in the show notes. It sounds wonderful. He yeah. Sounds like an amazing man. Oh, he was. He was just, just really lovely. So our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by another lovely man, Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Mm-hmm.